Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly comic book podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comics. I'm your host, Dallas. I'm Alexis. And I'm Anne. And for today's episode, we are joined by none other than Cole from Critical Rants, the YouTube channel Critical Rants. And the acclaimed we, YouTube channel, Critical Rants. Thank <laughs> you very exactly. much. Exactly. World famous, acclaimed <laughs> Critical Rants. The, the wonderful cult that is the reason that we are reading today Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. So any hate that Alexis may feel in her heart <laughs> can be directed directly at Cole. No, and it's just at you. And my lovely spouse, Addison, for buying me this book and making me want to read it. If I didn't own it, we wouldn't have read it. And that's the secret to this podcast and no one but me knows. We just read what Dallas wants. At this point. That I just look this at my This is just Dallas' extended book club. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited... For you all to start forcing me to read things that I don't like, so I can be the voice of dissent instead of Alexis. Every single week. Just me, angry. Can you imagine just the tactical shift of the podcast? If Alexis was like, I love this, and I was in the corner like, I hate Hissing. it. And it's terrible. Oh, boy. All right, hey. Cole, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit for the audience? Yeah, sure. Um yeah, I mean, my name's Cole. That much is obvious. Uh, I run a YouTube channel called Critical Rants. I make video essays. If you like this podcast, you'll probably, you know, it's superheroes and movies and TV and games and all that. So uh, I have quite a bit of fun with it. Um, I've been doing it for about two years now, and I plan on doing it for quite a bit longer. So, yeah, um, I've covered Doom Patrol the show in the past, and I will in the future. So um, if you like Doom Patrol, come on by. Alexis mouthed no. No, the Doom Patrol show was fun. Yeah, it's, it's great. I it's a good maybe show. Fun too, watch but, you know, next time. Save me the time. If there's a movie or just like school, if they make me read a book and there's a movie, no book. No. Nope. I mean, honestly, I know. Yeah, it's the show. I am a huge proponent of the show. Mm-hmm. Quick, quick tangent. I'm sure this won't come mm-hmm. up again on my end. Um, <laughs> but the show is so well done, and I think it's not like a one-to-one at all adaptation of this run. I'd say this run is like the main inspiration for the show, but it's more so the spirit of this, and I think it adapts the source material in a really interesting way. It's just a fantastic show. It's beautiful and weird and hilarious, and like would probably be a bit easier to get into, I think, than the comic. Um, yeah. <laughs> it definitely, it's very... It's very well made. It's it's the kind of show that like my wife was super on board with until it passed her suspension of belief. <laughs> like we got to a point where she was like, and they went inside a donkey. All right, we're done. We're done with this show. And I was like, that I can't even blame you. I can't I, be mad. I was gonna ask how fast did that happen? Because <laughs> it, it happens pretty fast. <laughs> pretty quick. When when they went inside the donkey, inside. she did really laugh hard on episode two. When they were like, you're either here because you're a huge Grant Morrison fan. That was you're, so good. Oh, yeah. you're with someone who likes this property, or strangely enough, you liked the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> she was dying. She's like, they just called us out like that, didn't they? And I will say this. If you watch that show, reading this book with Alan Tudyuk in mind as um, oh. Mr. Nobody makes everything a thousand times better. So, like, 
maybe maybe rereading it is exactly what um Lexi needs. I'm just saying, just throwing it out there, but I we'll definitely see. loved having Cliff's voice in my head as I was reading. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was like, oh, you see, beautiful. That combo. might help. If comics were audiobooks, I would have read every single one at this point. We're not doing this again. Anne, no. I, no, you, I'm you sorry. Anne. <laughs> no audiobooks from Anne. That was so funny. You, you maybe I should just me maybe me and Anne should just like call each other and she'll just read them to me before bed, <laughs> like a bedtime story. Oh. <laughs> You do not want me to read this book to you because it's just me going to be like pausing for like oh. five seconds and saying, what the fuck? And just imagine See, what the fuck. that might make it better. That might make me like it more. Okay. I I do have one thing to say about this book. It, I believe it's really high, con- it's obviously high concept. It's it's mm-hmm. very high quality. But there are times when this book is impenetrable. And like all the, the Dada language, I was like, I'm so happy that you've committed to this bit. You've created this world. Half of this book is gibberish. and Like Hobbit. <laughs> no, Hobbits are perfect. Um, I don't know. Did anyone else, does anyone else run into that, or am I just stupid? I feel like I'll be reading this, and I just have to check out for like two oh. pages and be like, we're going to keep going because I like what's happening, even okay, if I don't get it. That makes me feel better about my feelings then because I was like, what is this? What am I reading right now? I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, like, that. that is basically my experience with, like, almost any Grant Morrison story. Like, the first time through, I'm just like, this is fantastic. I'm <laughs> catching about, like, 30 to 40% of it, but it was a lot. Like, I was surprised, like, because this is the second time I've read it. I, like, read it probably a year or two ago for the first time. And when I read it this time around, I was like, oh, this makes a lot more sense, which is, like, generally also my experience with Grant Morrison stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is... Grant, they're just like very unapologetic about how much Dada and nonsense and poetry mm-hmm. and weird words and creatures they throw into their story, and especially this story. Like, it, it I would not say it's, I would not say you are dumb, or maybe we're just no. all dumb. That's probably more accurate. Maybe that's that's the truth. We're that's just all everyone. dumb, or we're all too smart to get this, or we just are <laughs> smart and we haven't gotten it yet. It's it's somewhere in between. It's all of Grant Morrison's work is just so fascinating because it all feels like it falls in this place of complete, utter nonsense, smashing face on keyboard until something comes out. And maybe there's something there and I want to read it over and over again because my first time reading Grant Morrison was actually Final Crisis. It was back when I first started reading comics. <laughs> that was his face! Dallas, don't explain. Just let me finish. Just let me finish. Okay, I was going through like all the events at first, I read like Infinite Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I'm like, this has crisis in it. Let's go through this too. And I was reading it, and I, I think it was about the time we got to like the um the kids in Japan, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then Darkseid was in a cop, and there were people with lion heads, and Batwoman had a ball gag, and I'm like, everything makes no sense, but I'm strangely strangely like here for it and intrigued, and I'm like. I've gone back and read that book probably about nine times, and I feel like I've gotten to a point where I get 95% of it, but there's still just a little bit. So impenetrable is probably the correct way to describe Grant Morrison. But I also think it, there's something more there, and I think that's what makes it worth going back and read it, reading stuff like this, even though it is so thick at times. I think there's more to it than we see on the first go-through. Exactly. I, I think most of what I love about Grant Morrison is it's a book that you get more out of researching and finding out about that. I was talking yesterday about this, that like 
one of my favorite comics of all time is Invincible, right? But like, I don't think about Invincible when I'm not reading Invincible, Mm -hmm. you know? I read it, I'm like, oh, that was so fun. What great characters, what what a bingeable comic book. I read that whole series in two and a half days of no sleep fever dream, (laughs) right? And when I read anything from Grant Morrison, but especially I felt this with Doom Patrol the last couple weeks, I pretty much, my tank is full after like two issues in a Mm -hmm. day. I read two issues, and then, but I think about them for the rest of the day. And I find myself looking things up and going back and researching and reading cool things that Anne sends me about the run. And then it, it like clicks into place and it means a lot more. And so I feel like I have to work so much harder for Grant's books, but there's a reason that they're one of my favorite comic book writers of all time, because it has a way of sticking with you and expanding your mind. I, I would very strongly agree with that. Like, it is, I think, in general, Morrison stories are more demanding than especially other superhero stories, but also more rewarding, I think, sort of in the long run because of that. Because there is weirdly an attention to detail, even when it seems like the details are just being vomited onto the page. And that's just very unique and very cool. Mm-hmm. But then to go, like, a little further than that, I wouldn't say that, like, if you're reading this and you're not like, this is the best thing ever written, this is so deep and, you know, influential, I wouldn't say that it makes you, like, less of a comic fan. I just think it's it's a certain taste, you know? It takes yeah. effort to get into. It takes the, the, want, <clears throat> the want to, like, feel like there's more than there actually is. Because maybe there isn't. Maybe it is just nonsense. Because reading some of these annotations that I've read... Some of it feels like it makes sense. Some of it also feels like, you know, the people debating in English class what the color of the curtains meant. Like, maybe the curtains are just purple because purple is a fun color, you know? Maybe the people from um, whatever that first city is that starts with a Q that I cannot pronounce, maybe they just talk like that because Grant Morrison picked random words out of a dictionary. Maybe there's nothing more to it than that. So it's... I think it's whatever you make it out to be. And I think that's what makes it special. I would agree. And I think that's a really important point when talking about Grant's work. I think because it means so much to so many people, if it doesn't mean much to you, you think you're less than, right? You're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not very smart. But like, that's not the case at all. It's such, I, I honestly feel like it's such an acquired taste. And that's a, that can be a larger conversation for comics in general. Like mm-hmm. every Every best book of all time doesn't have to speak to you. And if yeah. it doesn't, then that's perfectly fine. Um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about... This is the second Grant Morrison book we've read, Alexis. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's been your cup of tea either time. I'd love to hear from you about your experience with Doom Patrol. Well, I feel like it just... I don't know. I feel like it. maybe it was just like concepts that I just didn't really... I don't want to say get because like I understood what was going on. I just felt like it, I don't know. It just wasn't interesting to me. I felt like it was harder to read. I didn't really catch my personal attention, which I, I mean, that's like you just said, like everybody has those different feelings about different, each different one. And I just kind of felt like I didn't really connect to any particular character because I feel like that's with me. Sometimes I'll like, find the specific character of one of the runs that we'll read. And I'll be like, oh, okay, I like this person. So uh, I want to follow them through the story. But I feel like I didn't really feel that way with either of the 
any of the characters specifically. I mean, they were definitely written in a fun way, and I liked like reading about them, but they didn't necessarily catch my direct attention. Yeah, no, I completely get that. That makes a lot of sense. Grant Morrison, a lot of times, it's like they go straight for, like, style over any substance, especially when it comes to, like, their characters. They're like, mm-hmm. this book is about the insanity. It's about the absolute balls-to-the-wall <laughs> setting and everything that's happening. It's about the crazy scissormen. It's about Mr. Mm-hmm. Nobody acting completely insane. It's a painting that ate an entire city. Yeah. And it feels like sometimes in the, you know, the the tornado, the the hurricane of everything happening with the story that sometimes like smaller character moments are just harder to come by. Mm-hmm. It's, I related a lot to like what I struggle with, with Hickman sometimes like Hickman has these bold, like huge grandiose sci-fi ideas, but then sometimes the smaller moments with characters kind of fall by the wayside. Yeah. It's like, you have to trade it off a little bit. You have to decide, is the story going to be the main aspect of this? Is the setting, the, the insanity going to be the main point we focus on? Or is it going to be the characters we talk about? So I think there's issues here where Grant balances it better. Like the first issue with Cliff, I think he does really, I th- they do really well. And um, I think the issue with um, Dorothy, they do really well. But the rest of it, it's definitely more, this is the crazy thing we're doing this week. And that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. more so than it is, hey, Cliff's still on a robot body and that feels weird to them. You know, that's, I feel like it's, yeah, sorry. Just I feel like off. there was a lot of good depth that they could have run with because I've picked up on some themes that, I mean, they were laying down. I just kind of feel like I wanted a little bit more. Like, I wanted just a teeny bit more character development with each, with each of them. I mean, like you said, with Cliff being in his robot body, I feel like that's a very important theme that could have been addressed in a different way or a little bit more, but it just, it just didn't. And I will say that... Some of that is that we just read the first arc of the story, you know? And so, for instance, I read issue 30 this morning about when they go into the underground of Crazy Jane, right? And Mm -hmm. that that really opened up a lot of that character to me Mm -hmm. and made me understand and empathize with that character a lot more. And I realized that's not what we read for the show. So, like, we don't need to dive deep into that. But... There was a recent interview that Grant did where they sort of lamented that everybody tells them their work is garbage the whole time it's being released. And then the second it's collected, it's a masterpiece (laughs) that everyone needs to read for the rest of their comic book career. And I do feel that a little bit with Grant Morrison. I think if you were read, I, I'm becoming more and more of someone that just knows what creators I don't like to read month to month. And I don't think that I'll ever be a Grant Morrison month-to-month reader because I get lost and I get frustrated and then I drop off. And then I, when I have half of the series in single issues, I don't feel a big need to go pick up the hardcover of it to actually enjoy it. And so I think Doom Patrol is a little bit that way, where as a whole piece, I think that you are going to see some of that character growth, but as in individual issues or arcs, it gets lost in the weeds a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's kind of what's interesting about this run for me is that like in the in like what 10 issues or so that we've read for like the podcast today, there are definitely like bits and, you know, individual issues with that are very character focused. And then I think on a whole, though, it, it is more about the concepts and the craziness and whatever else is going on. And I think in any 
in almost any other circumstance, I'm someone who, you know, is very into like character driven stories. Like the rest of the story can be garbage, but if the characters are well written or interesting, like I will be, I will be there. Um, and this is sort of the exception to that. I think simply because Morrison can bring so much style and just dazzle with all that style and weirdness that it at least satiates me. But I will say like, as the entire run goes on, there definitely are arcs and you really dig into the characters more kind of like Dallas was saying and with going to James head in the underground and all this stuff. And it's an interesting way to approach a story that definitely will not work for everyone. But for me, it kind of feeds the side of like, you get all the weirdness and the shocking amount of poetry that's just in this comic, which I love as someone who occasionally writes poetry, uh, not as often as I should, but it is definitely a balance in some issues and in some arcs. I think there is a more kind of like even balance and other times it's just one or the other or not one or the other, but you know, much more leaning to the side of, of weirdness, shall we say. I would agree with that. I think it was fair. I read once that Grant Morrison writes weird comics and Doom Patrol was Grant Morrison trying to write a weird comic. <laughs> and I very much felt that reading this. But I think, I don't know, we've talked a lot about how we felt reading the book as a whole. I'd love to talk a little bit about the specifics of the book itself. Um, do we want to start by talking about characters, maybe? Yeah. Did... Does anyone feel strongly that they want to talk about a specific character before we hop in? Like, any favorites? How do I even pick? Um. <laughs> no. I like that one baddie who had every power you've never thought of when she's asleep. Oh, yes. Oh. I, don't I remember. was going to bring her up. I can't remember her name. <laughs> don't oh remember her gosh. name, Let but, man, so, loved that. Um, The character, the quiz, she's... um. The, the woman who has every power you've never thought of, and I think that's the most creative power imaginable. It's so fun. And it's it's beautiful. I love it. I Everything about it. My question is, if you think about the power to create every power you've never thought of, does that cancel her out completely? Or Is she a paradox? Like, yeah. She's done for. Does well, that's the end? first arc, Alexis. That's the first arc's about paradoxes. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, I know. And then there's... Um, sleepwalk who was stronger whenever she's asleep and she listens to Barry Manilow to stay asleep and I thought that was hilarious <laughs> the brotherhood of Dada was wonderful mm -hmm. I have always been a strong proponent of the name the brotherhood of evil mutants is the greatest name for a superhero group of all time mm -hmm. but like brotherhood of Dada is a close second especially yeah. after you explained it to us Anna. yeah because I didn't know this either. And when I found out that what it was, I was so I was so confused. I thought Brotherhood of Dada, I th thought they picked it just because like, oh, this sounds wacky and insane. And they're wacky and insane. But Dada is actually an artistic movement that started around the time of World War One in England. And it's just an entire art style of nonsensical, satirical, irrational works. And I'm like, this that's this book. That is exactly everything that Grant Morrison has ever done to a T. They are the king of Dada in comics. And I just am realizing that the covers for that arc also were in this like Dada style, similar to the paintings that we'd seen. That was like, my mind was completely blown. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm glad I did some research on this because, wow, I, there's things I, I definitely didn't pick up on that the first time through. So I started like, after that, I started like looking up different names through the issues to see if I could find anything else of significance. I didn't really, but 
it was it was still fun. It still made me think more than I thought I would. That is very fun. All right, any other favorite characters? I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Mr. Nobody. What like, a king. What a king. <laughs> oh. I, I'm trying to think of, like, how to describe him. And, like, if you've seen the television <laughs> show, like, you probably have a good idea, but it is not a one-to-one adaptation. It's just he is delightful. <laughs> like, exactly. That was, and seeing him in the show, it's like, I guess that that is as best as you can possibly adapt that character yeah. to live action without it looking absolutely insane. But I guess the point of it is to look absolutely insane. So the question is, do I want that? Or it's, it works for, I think it really, really works. Yeah. And Alan Tudyk makes it work. And the character in the comics easily carries that entire, that whole painting, the eight Paris arc for me. It's just every time he's on page, it's just, it's a joy to read. And I like yeah. villains like that, where it's like, I'm actually kind of rooting for you because you're just really fun. And you're just kind of doing this just for the hell of it. So, sure, why not take over the world? Go for it. I want to see what happens. Yeah. I'd rather it's you the, be in charge. Yeah. It's not even like Mr. Nobody is like, I'm going to take over the world for greed or for power. It's like, mm -hmm. because why not? Like, that's, <laughs> there is almost no reason for his being or anything that he does. I mean, there there is, but also there isn't, which is kind of a good way to describe this entire run in a sense. Yeah. It's um, honestly, like a supervillain, they're like, wouldn't it be hilarious if I sucked all of Paris <laughs> into a painting? <laughs> and like, I can vibe with that. I, I am a huge fan of stupid villains. And yeah. Mr. Nobody, I wouldn't say... from Despicable Me. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think that Mr. Nobody falls into stupid like Skeletor or Sauron, the pterodactyl. <laughs> they're a different kind of stupid. But this is an absurdity that was really fun for me, where like... I feel like Mr. Nobody is the polar opposite of Lex Luthor in the best way. Yes. Like, Mr. Nobody it. turns a policeman into a toilet in this story, which is, <laughs> I think that speaks for itself. He's, and then, he's like, oh, go for it. I was just, and then he also tells said police officer that he doesn't speak fascist. Yes. And, like, I made that my header on Twitter because that made me smile. <laughs> You know. He's like, if the Joker didn't take himself too seriously and also wasn't limited to the bonds of physical <laughs> reality. Yes. So yes. it's, it's just... like the Joker done right, honestly. Exactly. And, you know, we're talking about the villains and there's crazy villains in here like God. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. It's like an anime. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the scissor men, which are terrifying. The, the oh, scene where they... Yeah. They take half the doctor, and he's talking about them cutting his thumbs oh, off. Yes, that was that was uncomfy. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't stop thinking about Dwight Schrute talking about his his grandma teaching him about the scissor oh, men yes. at oh, Christmas time, and Jim, and Michael thinks we don't want to hear about your Nazi war criminal grandmother. <laughs> That's all I could think about when we that whole scissor men arc. I was like, Dwight was right, honestly. <laughs> spooky. The, the villains are insane, but I think the heroes are really really interesting i the doom patrol here is you know for these the arcs we read it's really only three people and i think that that really makes it special because normally the doom patrol is this whole team full of just you know these crazy crazy wacky characters and just narrowing it down to three i think really helps solidify who we're following because we didn't get to, of course we didn't get to the issue where we really dive deep literally into crazy jane but i think the opening issue with cliff Steele is 
honestly one of my favorite comics I've ever read. I read this last year and I remember just instantly that was the issue that hooked me because I really liked his perspective of being like an actual robot who's unfeeling. He's like, you know, I still have all the feelings and emotions and urges of a guy, but I'm in a literal tin can. I can't feel anything. And the moment where he starts bashing his hand wall, I thought that was the the best character development that we that I'd seen for this character ever or any sort of like cyborg character at all that it's just such a raw and emotional and powerful moment and I wish we'd gotten more of it like sprinkled through as the series goes on because we get we get the moments like that we get that there and we get the moment with Dorothy a couple issues later where she has to confront her own internal demons and her idea of growing up and maturing and she has to put on those red shoes and we get it you know a couple issues down the line when we go inside of um Jane but I would I would have really liked to see more of that sprinkled through. And I think the craziness would complement that because I think they, they work as contrast. They like make the softer moments really stand out. And I think that's one of the reasons why that beginning issue before all the craziness really starts stands out so much to me because it's we're going to get a question about memorable moments later. And that's just that issue remains a huge memorable moment to me just because of Cliff and everything he's going through. And I actually think that's something that the the show does so well. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I think it does better than at least what we've read of the comic is giving us those soft moments, right? I feel like in the show, I really, really care about Cliff a lot. Mm-hmm. I really care about Jane. I really care about, uh, the, they're not Rebus yet in the show, mm-hmm. but about the negative man, you know? It's it's fun. I As a massive X-Men fan, reading the Doom Patrol is really interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, the X-Men is definitely a copy of the Doom Patrol that mm-hmm. then became bigger than what it copied. <laughs> and it's interesting knowing that, again, I think we're going to have a conversation about this later mm-hmm. with a listener question, but Grant wrote both the X-Men and the Doom Patrol, and they wrote them very differently. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting the the groups that each team is meant to be representative of I think the X-Men are, everybody knows about like, the X-Men are a stand-in for minority groups, right? But I feel like the the Doom Patrol is specifically a stand-in for disenfranchised groups that get forgotten about. And mm-hmm. that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, um, because I don't know if you knew this, I moved to New York recently, but um, I'm sorry. I'm becoming Shut a meme up. of myself. No, but, like, something that comes up a lot here that didn't come up before are, like, like a homeless population. You know, like, that wasn't something that I thought about when I lived in small-town Utah, right? Mm -hmm. And reading Doom Patrol this last couple weeks, I was like, oh, this is a book talking about that. About, like, a group of people that have a very hard life that people don't want to acknowledge in, like, an even a different unique way, you know? And I, it was just, I don't know that I have a ton of complex thoughts on that, but it was interesting and it resonated in a different way than the X-Men does, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of interesting that you brought that up. And I feel like this sort of ties back into what Anne was saying too, with like that first issue with, with Cliff or Robot Man. Um, And I think like the first page of Morrison's run is this sort of like surreal dream slash flashback slash nightmare of life of like Cliff getting in the auto accident that, you know, basically destroyed his body. And then it's just him in a mental hospital. And like, 
what superhero comic opens with the first issue of basically mm-hmm. the protagonist checking themselves into a mental hospital or already having done that. It's kind of, it's very somber, honestly. Um, yeah. And it is, it does kind of almost seem odd in contrast to all the weirdness and goofiness that comes after that. But I think that just goes to show how robust, if that's the right word, um, of a writer Morrison is mm-hmm. to be able to handle all these different tones and blend them together very effectively, I would argue. Yeah, and I think it it shows that someone like Cliff, who finds himself struggling with uh, their mental state, can be powerful and heroic and inspiring. Yeah. You know, like Cliff is still a superhero. Yeah. But, but Cliff, very rightfully so, checked himself in to get help with his mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like a lot of comics have, this is our very special issue where the character deals with depression. Their name is Batman, and they're going to have depression solved by the end of this issue. <laughs> or like in the Harley Quinn show, I thought it was really funny when they were like, do you want to just montage past the hard parts of oh, alcoholism? <laughs> you know, like that was a very funny, yeah. self-aware moment. And Doom Patrol spits in the face of that idea. They're like, mm-hmm. nope, our characters are not going to get over depression in an issue. They're going to have to keep yeah. going about being superheroes while feeling depressed. You know, I thought that and was interesting you, and good. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was very intentional. I think when Morrison was approaching this, they're like, this is going to be balls to the wall insane. We need this first issue to ground it. We need a solid base. We need something that people mm. can latch onto. So we're putting this very human issue first. That way you kind of really get in at least through Cliff, because I feel like Cliff is really our, you know, our viewpoint through this entire series. He's the one we're supposed to latch on to because he's just the normal guy going along for the ride, going like, what the hell is going on? And to make him the first person we empathize with and understand, I think that's really, if this run works and that's, and you go through this run and it's like, okay, I'm still here for it. And you're willing to go all the way through it. I think that's the moment that's going to catch you. And I think that's what, you know, tethers you to that whole thing. Alexis, you go. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at Anne's ferret in the background of her camera. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, but no, yeah, I feel like, oh, I don't know. You guys were on such a good roll. I don't want to be like, dun, dun, dun. Here's my hatred. No, I think but, it's valid, though. I want to hear about your experience yeah. with the book. Yeah. I just feel like, personally and this may be more than just the book itself i kind of have a hard why do you have a hammer (laughs) (laughs) it's uh my dna no i'm just kidding um oh it's tiny sitting by me a little tiny hammer (laughs) i was building a picture frame before this and so it was by me sorry that oh that was funny my bad Oh, but no, I, it might just be my personality more. I have a really hard time with like, like how we keep saying like nonsense. I have a really hard time kind of getting through it. And I don't know if that's just because I, I don't, I don't consider myself a very serious person, but like, I don't know. It just, it was harder for me to read and harder for me to get into because I felt like for myself, I didn't have any thing to like ground I feel like it didn't really feel very grounded which sometimes is what I like a little more in things or like I feel 
like the arcs were a little bit all over the place, but kind of what you guys have been saying, like that makes sense for Grant, you know, that's their writing style. That makes sense. It tracks. Um, And maybe that's just kind of why even how Dallas said, I didn't really like the other one that we read too. You know, maybe that, maybe it's just my personality that I don't really, I don't know. Cause I mean, I love comics. I love reading them. They're always so fun, but yeah, this one just wasn't my favorite. I don't really know why. <laughs> cause I, I wasn't expecting not to like it too, which cause sometimes, I mean, every time Dallas says we're going to read another Spider-Man run, I'm in my mind like, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and then it's no, it's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, if there was ever a comic, I would never, ever blame, like, anyone for not liking. It's definitely a Grant Morrison comic, because it is, like, <laughs> such a unique... It, it feels... It's the cilantro of comics. You either like it or you don't. Cilantro. And that's so, so funny, because I hate cilantro. It tastes like soap. <laughs> See? There we go. There might be a connection there. We should find a poll. <laughs> if it always I, tastes like I'm soap, too, it's, it's always going to taste like soap, so... And there's nothing wrong with that, so... It, okay. it is Look, kind of interesting. Oh, go ahead. It is kind of interesting that you mentioned like it not feeling very grounded, Alexis, because I feel like this story specifically is almost a rejection of like grounded and realistic stories to the point that like the first four issues, the first arc effectively is literally just about reality breaking down. Exactly. <laughs> like it is pretty much the opposite of like it sounds like, you know, what you mm-hmm might want from a comic book which again like that is perfectly reasonable i do no, not i'm honestly you like it's probably the whole point the whole point is probably why i don't like it which is kind of funny <laughs> like, the whole I, book is just nope <laughs> it's just it's surrealism on a comic page and if surrealism isn't going to be like what you're here for then you're not going to be here exactly. for it. And you don't it have also, to force it to work so i think it also just speaks to it attempting to be high art if that makes sense like this book does not feel made by a committee at all like disney would never publish this book (laughs) ever yeah ever in a million years this is the polar opposite from star wars the rise of skywalker (laughs) this is an ambitious piece that was willing to divide (laughs) and you can figure out what the opposite of that is if you want but the the opposite of that is rebus ah Ah. yes 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 we'll get into that in a second um but I, I think that's the reality of of art is that mm-hmm. we here I am on my uh, my internet soapbox here, but like there is there's no objectivity in mm-hmm. in artwork like this, right? Like you yeah. it didn't speak to you, Alexis, and that is okay. It spoke to me, that is okay. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, like, I mean I still like listening to your guys' opinions. I think they're fun and I like that you guys like it, you know, and you probably don't like some of the things that I do, you know? Yeah, I mean, I find myself right now. I went and saw Black Widow last week. Seems like everyone pretty much liked that, and I, I it wasn't my favorite thing. And yeah. so, like, I see, I feel a little bit where you're coming from when, like, all your friends yeah. are like, "This thing is great," <clears throat> and you're just over there like, "I'm broken inside, and I didn't like it." <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's with the Grant Morrison stuff. Not every arc in this is something I like. These first three that we read, I'm actually pretty yeah. fond of. But when we get into like the next couple, like there's one with this. It's these weird spider people versus these people with big heads. I hated that one. There was <laughs> that, this, that went over my head so hard on the first time. So I had no clue what was it. going on. <laughs> it was so bizarre. There was one where it's like, um, oh, God. It, it, they're so crazy. I can't even remember what happened in them. And it was like what you said, Dallas. You just, 
just kind of have to check out for a little bit. I swear to God, the second volume of Doom Patrol, I literally checked out for the entire last arc. And I just got to the last page. I'm like, okay, I guess I finished it. Mr. Nobody's on the cover of the third one, so I guess I'll be back for that one. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just... And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And even if it works sometimes for you, it won't work every time. So it's crazy. Yeah, that's what's kind of interesting about reading this run is there are these like occasional and like it does come down to just like personal preference or how engaged you are. But that arc you were talking about and like I have been I'm going to go through and reread, you know, finish rereading this whole run. But I'm just like, man, I have a feeling that is going to go so far over my head still because it just went so far over my head the first time. But, like, for every arc like that, you know, there's one or two or four arcs where, like, you know, there's one where Mr. Nobody runs for president only on the platform that every day will be Christmas. And, like... <laughs> Hired. It's, Hired. Yes. Like, Hired. You know, this is, you know, maybe... I don't know if any person who works on the Doom Patrol show is listening to this, but I will pay you so much money to adapt this arc <laughs> because please, please make it happen. It's please. just delightful. But it, it is kind of interesting because there are these moments where you're just like, yep, <clears throat> like smooth brain, like like drool coming out of my mouth. Like, I, this sure seems really interesting and cool. I wish I understood it. But I think, again, like the more you sort of engage, I think in general with, with the text, it will, you know, there'll be less and less of that and more just like, oh my gosh, this is actually amazing and beautiful and weird and sincere. <laughs> I Yeah, I feel like a lot of, a lot of, this is like i don't know what you just said but hell yeah speak your truth yes that, that actually well yep. i want to pull it up because it's from the arc we're talking about the one that's really really confusing mm -hmm. um the last page the very last page of that art is rebus saying in fact the whole concept of the tower indicates a symbolic wish to transcend duality and achieve some kind of union with a fundamental state of pure consciousness and then he turns and asks cliff and then cliff just says yeah screw symbolism let's go home <laughs> <laughs> so that's mid. <laughs> I remember the only that was the only part of the arc I really remembered because I'm like everything's over the top insane. But I like that the very last page Grant basically says, "Yeah, that was all symbolic, but whatever. It's a comic. Let's go home." I do think again, and here's me pulling from something we didn't read for the show, but I think it's interesting in Grant's Batman run they have a whole thing where at the end of a long arc where Batman has been trying to like derive deep meaning from what Joker's doing. Joker mm -hmm. basically just looks at him like, that was the whole point. There is no meaning, dummy. And you just worked yourself into a knot trying to figure it out. And it's a little bit of Grant being honest about their own work, yeah. where they're like, you guys all come to my work like, all right, let's get the dictionary. Let's pull out our <laughs> sacred texts, um, oh. Google Handy. And sometimes it's absurd just to be absurd. And... Yeah, it's interesting, interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite adaptation of this, the show is great, but Bo Burnham's Inside is actually the best adaptation of Grant Morrison's Doom Control. And there's my hot take for the show. Dallas, you are doing a dangerous thing by mentioning Bo Burnham's Inside when I'm on the podcast. I, 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 I did it on purpose because I watched that and then I read this and I was like, these pieces rhyme. They're on the same frequency. They honestly kind of do. They are in some ways both about reality breaking down and what is real and, you know, tell absurdity me that, and all of that. Tell me that Mr. Nobody wouldn't sing Welcome to the Internet and it would be tonally oh, spot no. on. Oh, spot you're, on. 
You're 100% right. I'm terrified by how right you are. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It like it opened up both pieces a lot for me to compare them. And I know you like both. And so here's a, a little side pocket for no one else in particular but Cole. <laughs> I know we both like this thing. So you should – you don't have to rewatch the whole show. But like listen oh, to listen to it and think about this arc because like this that's how the world works. And – shit and yep. <laughs> um, to the internet are all like this is about doom patrol and i feel it in my bones well the thing is i will rewatch um bo burnham's inside i've seen it three times i'm gonna see it many more in fact uh in about five days i'm seeing it in theaters actually Yo, me too me too yes i'm so excited but i i haven't been able to get those songs I've been listening to them on repeat in that show out of my head since I saw it like almost two months ago and that's sort of in some ways how I kind of feel about the Doom Patrol run as well where I'm not even sure entirely why at first because there is so much to unpack and saying that out loud this applies to inside as well but like it sticks with you because you are just kind of even almost not maybe consciously but you're you're still unpacking it and trying to derive meaning from it even Maybe it was like, yeah, screw subtext, screw um, symbolism. Like, it was just a funny thing or it was just, you know, what came to that person. But it does have a way of getting under your skin and in in a way that few works of art can. It feels just out of reach in a really intriguing way. Mm -hmm. Like, if I reach a little farther, I might get it. And Grant just keeps pulling it back a little bit every time. Until you look back and you're like, oh, no, I'm Dada. Oh, no. Speaking of reaching a little bit, do we want to talk a little bit, just a little bit about Rebus? Yes. yes. Yeah, take it away. That was a good segue. Proud. So, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm getting the hang of this podcast thing. Anyways. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, so, I know when we were reading this, um, there were some questions about Grant Morrison um, coming out as non-binary and whether or not Rebus was, you know, them expressing themselves early on. And I found out that I read this book in the summer of 2020, back when everything was going chaotic. I was trying to support the comic shop. I'm like, hey, I remember you had Doom Patrol on your shelf. Can you send me a copy? So they did. And it helped get me through it. because I'm like, okay, things aren't as crazy as they could be. But I remember reading Rebus. I'm like, that's a very interesting character. When Grant Morrison came out that fall, I was like, okay, maybe there was something there. And I really think there was, because in this um, interview, when they were talking about it, they said, as an instance, when I was a kid, there were no words to describe certain aspects of my own experience. I've been non-binary cross-dressing genderqueer since I was 10 years old, but the available terms for what I was doing, how I felt were few and far between. And then they said, like, I didn't want to transition or embody my female side exclusively, so I had no idea where I fit in. And they continued... Terms like genderqueer and non-binary only came into vogue in the mid-90s. And this book is from the 80s. So I really feel like this Rebus was definitely, I don't want to like say for, for certain that like this is what they were doing, but Rebus really feels like someone who has always understood they were genderqueer in some way, trying to come to terms with that, trying to find some way to describe it in a time when the words really didn't exist for how to describe it. And I think it's really fascinating to go back and read that because I remember reading it the first time and that was definitely what I, thought, what I thought. It was like, this feels like a character that could be more, but feels like it can't. Because I feel like there's more to say about someone who embodies both, you know, male and female sides of the, you know, the gender spectrum. 
and I just feel like it wasn't there yet. I'd be really curious to see what Grant Morrison would write now if they were to wrote if they were to write Rebus, because I feel like it could be a much more nuanced thing than it was when they first did it, because there are aspects of Rebus that feel a little like coming at it from a you know a, a queer perspective myself. There are aspects of it that feel like I knew what they were reaching for, but also aspects that just felt so out of left field that I couldn't really ascribe them to anything, if that makes sense. But it definitely feels like it makes Rebus make more sense if this was Grant, like, trying to explain on page some of their own feelings that they couldn't really put into words by putting it into the perspective of this one character. I just think that's, I think it's really interesting. And I think it makes Rebus retroactively the most interesting aspect of this whole run. Yeah, it's... I think in retrospect, it's hard almost not to read this in some level as Grant Mm -hmm. coming to terms with their own identity because Rebus doesn't emerge or come into the world fully confident in who they are. And Mm -hmm. I don't really think any, at least in these first like 10 or so issues, I don't really think Rebus ever has any like pronouns that are used. I feel like they then would probably make the most sense since that's Grant's own pro since that's Grant's own pronouns, um, so I'm just gonna use they them if if that's cool for Rebus. Yeah. Um, but it is like there's the sort of a recurring image throughout or motif throughout like this whole run is with Rebus is like the uh, like the rushing nesting dolls of the doll within a doll, and I don't think Rebus is like a stand-in for Grant in the sense that they're like Grant's mouthpiece, but I mm-hmm. think it definitely they on some level are Grant sort of figuring out their own identity. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. because much later in the run, I think there's, if I remember correctly, it has been a while since I read it, but I'm like 95% sure there's a moment where Rebus turns into an egg and then like is hatches. I think the egg might also be in a shopping cart. It might've been on the moon at some point. It's because Grant Morrison, but chaos yeah. i i was trying to find yeah it's it is pretty <laughs> weird and there's even more going on with that whole that whole incident um that is even weirder but i was trying to find an interview this morning that i read a while ago and i couldn't i couldn't track it down but it was i think it was from around like the 90s or at least grant talking about this run and how they were saying like yeah, I was, you know, I was cross-dressing around this time, and I was just sort of doing, I started doing a lot of drugs, and I think the phrase they used was, like, I turned my body into a laboratory, because I did not know this about Grant Morrison, but for, like, the first, like, 30 years of their life, they did not really do any drugs at all, and then just kind of went, like, screw it, I'm just gonna turn my body into a laboratory, and I think both of those elements kind of are reflected in this run, Um, but really what I was trying to say there, and now you can see why my channel is called Critical Rants, <laughs> um, because I never shut up, is that there is a an element of discovery and self-discovery with Rebus that I think is almost a direct through line to, to Grant's own journey. And I think that, that there's, there's something very informative about a character like that that isn't fully formed, you know? Um, again, we read a limited amount of this, and so I don't know where Rebus ends up, but it was interesting in the snapshots that we got of Rebus to see Rebus learning about themselves, you know, and those are bits of fiction that really mean a lot to me that are actually pretty hard to get to come through in comic books specifically with the serialized storytelling. 
but it's watching characters grow and change and find out about themselves. And it, it doesn't feel like they've leapt somewhere. It doesn't feel like they skipped all the character growth. And I think that Grant paid special attention to the moments with Rebus and letting Rebus figure themselves out. I think, um, talk a little bit more about this with a listener question, but I think one of the most impactful moments for me was when they, they opened the door and you can see Rebus, like their posture changing multiple times as like, they're kind of like figuring themselves out on the page. And like, that was a really evocative image for me. It's something that like, I thought a lot about, you know, and I'm still thinking about, and I just, I appreciate that this, this character exists. And like Anne said, I would love to see how this character would look under Grant's pen again now. Mm-hmm. See, it's, there's, um, oh, go, no, go ahead. we were talking about um, the pronouns they were using. They use like we, us, yeah. as in, like multiple people, like, you know, like they were Venom or something. And I think it's the idea of these two, not just these two people, but these two conflicting ideas inside the same person. And since, you know, like he said, in, um, like Grant said in the interview, um, they didn't have at the time the right words to describe that. Like um, they didn't have the term non-binary. They didn't have like really genderqueer. And the idea that the only pronouns they could use would be we, us, instead of just accepting the singular they, I think that is really interesting. And I'd be curious to see if that would change at all. Because it's it's just like the small little bits of like vocabulary used to describe Rebus. I wonder if if Grant could write them again. I wonder how they would how they would write it. It's also sort of interesting because in some ways, like Rebus is also just kind of a total mess. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean. Hopefully that doesn't sound mean, but like no no no. Yeah, like there's there's definitely a tragedy there because I guess in case we haven't already made this clear, who Rebus is is basically a conglomeration of Larry Trainer, who's traditionally a negative man, and if you've seen the show, you'll know him from there, and then his doctor after he was in the hospital, who were then his doctor, Eleanor Poole, um, and these two people were merged with the negative spirit into this one being who then called himself Rebus. And there's a scene where Rebus is visiting Eleanor Poole's boyfriend, who is just like, like very angry and upset at them because they're like, like what the hell is going on? Basically, like, I don't even know you anymore. And Rebus sort of says, I forget exactly what they say, but they say something like, oh, I think like, I remember that like we, I don't know, like walked on the beach or something like sort of hinting that their memory and is just kind of all over the place. Um, And there's even a scene, maybe it's Cliff, it might not be Cliff, but where someone walks into Rebus's room and is like, hey, like, you kind of, like, smell bad, like, you should, like, are you, like, good? And it's just sort of interesting to see that it is, like, a very non-linear process for Rebus of, like, who's also incredibly powerful, almost, like, unquantifiably powerful, just in very weird ways of, like, oh, radio waves, and they can you know, do things with energy and things like that. But despite having all that power and being this sort of synthesis of people, that just makes it even more complicated for them to figure themselves out. I like that with this book, Grant Morrison, obviously we've been talking about how they were drawing on some of their own experience for Rebus. Yeah. But it it really seems like they were trying to express 
human experience that doesn't come up a lot in superhero comics. Um, the In the forward to the omnibus edition of this run, they re- reference some of what they used as reference material. And for the character of Jane, who I don't know that I'm qualified to speak on mm-hmm. how well more Grant Morrison did with the representation of of DID or mental illness with Jane, but I know that that character came out of their reading multiple autobiographies from from individuals that that experienced life the way that Jane did, and I think that that that's just an interesting thing for Grant to try and do with the Doom Patrol, to try and take these human experiences and research them heavily, try and do it well, and like put that out in a superhero comic, you know, I think it's, it's an ambitious and a cool thing to do. And I think that there, there's a right way and a wrong way to do something like that. And I think what is important is to try like Grant did to, to do a lot of research and then admit when you're wrong, you know, or when you mess up and it's not perfect. No one expects you to be the omniscient, omnipresent, knower of all human experience, you know, but like we do expect you to be like, I'm sorry. I would love, like, I will change that moving forward, you know? And so while Rebus uses we, us pronouns in 1989, you know, I don't see Grant Morrison like digging their heels in like a certain wizard writer (laughs) Um, and being like, nope, I am, I am all knowing and right, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, that was just another thing that was on my mind while I was reading Doom Patrol that I liked. All right. Do we have any more thoughts about the run before we hop into listener questions? I feel like listener questions are always so much better at like getting us in depth, so it might be good. They're smart. They're they're way smarter than we are. <laughs> I do want to say one more thing, kind of going off what you were just saying, Dallas, about how the Doom Patrol is definitely an atypical superhero group where they are often just you know, barely able to save themselves or, you know, be barely able to support themselves. And I think that definitely is reflected in this run because I mean, yeah, we see, we first meet Cliff. He's checked himself into a mental hospital. Jane, we first meet Jane and she is struggling with, you know, having 64 different personalities that she has to share a body with. Um, And all this trauma that she is, you know, how does one even begin to deal with that kind of trauma? It's, these sort of very heavy questions. Um, and it is really refreshing to see that emphasis on mental health and mental illness in a superhero book, because it's, you, you don't show up to a Doom Patrol book, presumably to, you know, see, oh, you get to see Robot Man punch the bad guy. It's, it's as weird as it is, as, as surreal and absurd and unreal as I think this run is just on a, in a general scale, it is also strangely very real and very human mm-hmm. in what struggles its characters are going through. And I just really, really appreciate that. Doom Patrol is for the people. <laughs> Mr. Nobody is for the people. I Both I would like a whole podcast just about Mr. Nobody, frankly. The Doom Patrol is great, but like, Mr. Nobody steals the show. Yes. He really does. It's impossible for me not to read his dialogue in Alan Tudyk's voice. Like, I cannot. It's just, it's, he does such a good job in the show that it's just, it's all I hear and it's beautiful. 
Alexis, if you decide to watch the show, please let me know. I want to know what you think about it. Okay. How do I? Well, so for people that don't know, okay, it's on HBO. (laughs) I was like, some people might not know, so we should put where it's at. You're like, yeah, those strangers that might not those know. Strangers. I mean, I know that I know all of us know, silly but people. them silly, <laughs> them silly geeses. On one of our platforms that once again me and dolls don't pay for. <laughs> I mean, I I do want to say if if anyone is like, oh, we haven't read this Grant Morrison Doom Patrol run, if you're a little hesitant on picking it up, definitely check out the show. Check mm-hmm. out the show and the comic regardless. But like the show, I think is a perfect balance, sort of, of what Alexis was saying. Where like. It doesn't. The comic doesn't always feel grounded or necessarily rooted in character. The show, I don't think, ever strays away from focusing mm-hmm. on character while still hitting you with some weird, <laughs> wacky, goofy, ridiculous shenanigans. Oh, it's so and it's a that's like where I started with reading Doom Patrol comics. Um, and it's a great jumping on point. I would agree. I think that the Doom Patrol show does a lot of what the Boys show is able to do. Where they take something that's pretty interesting and they tone it down like 30% to make it more palatable. You know? And it's, I, again, I find the Doom Patrol comic more palatable, but I have no interest in the boys comic, you know? that That show is right to the edge of what I'm comfortable with and oftentimes goes over what I'm comfortable with. And so the fact that the comic is somehow past that, no interest at all. But like, I think... That the Doom Patrol show, if if you find yourself having a, a hard time connecting with Grant Morrison's comics, but liking their ideas, Doom Patrol show is so, so for you. And if this whole thing sounded interesting to you at all, I think you should check out the Doom Patrol show. It's really fun. And it's it's a kind of creative superhero movie and adaptation that I want to see more of, where it's unique, it's got its own voice, it doesn't feel like a homogenized mess, you know? I find myself more being like, I would rather just read the comic unless you can bring something really fresh with the adaptation. And I think that they do bring something really fresh with the adaptation, with Doom Patrol. All right, I've heard myself talk enough. Let's do listener questions. All right, so first question from Doug from For Every Kind of Geek. Lovely fellow. Lovely, lovely fellow. You got to go back and listen to our episode with Doug. It was a good time. It's a good one. We, t- we talked about 52. 52 is so good. If, <laughs> if Doom Patrol is too much, go read 52. Hey, I liked that one, though. Yeah. And that because had some Grant Morrison in it. It did. Yeah. It did. All the space stuff with Animal Man, pretty clearly Grant Morrison. <laughs> so all you have to do with Grant Morrison is lock them in a room with Mark Wade. <laughs> fist fight each other until they find a perfect medium. Oh, I would pay to see it. I would. I feel like Grant fights dirty. I'm not gonna lie. Put that on HBO Max. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I feel like Grant Morrison would claw a lot in a fight. I don't know why. I can see it. It's the Animal Man. It yeah. is. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Mark's like. Stop it right now. Grant Morrison's just our little meow meow. Um, anyway, so Doug says, did any of you have favorite character dynamics or interactions during the run? Um, I think easily the strongest character interaction is just anytime Cliff is talking to Jane. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, because they obviously, I think they have the most human relationship out of anyone in the, the book because it's really hard, like, 
we even talked about him, but Niles Calder is just so distant and cold all the time. And um, what's his name? Joshua. He's around too, but he doesn't really. His his issue with um Dorothy was great, yeah. but it's you know it's just that one issue. Mm-hmm. I think Cliff and Jane's dynamic, and it, it's really strong in the show too. But I think that really carries through the whole run. So I think for me personally, that's the one I'd have to go to. Yeah, and kind of to piggyback on that a little bit, one thing I really did like from those two specifically mm-hmm. when they're when they're introduced and they kind of are just tossed into each other's presence like here Mm -hmm. you guys would be friends (laughs) and (laughs) and um I liked how it's mentioned a little later on um I don't know who tells Cliff I don't remember specifically but they're like it's been mentioned to me that Jane's therapist says that she's doing better she's kind of seeing some improvements in her own personality just from hanging out with you and I kind of liked that I was like oh okay now that she has a friend like her life is kind of trying to like stabilize and they kind of are doing that for each other which I really liked and you can kind of see that a little bit and I also just think that that speaks a little bit to how much of a help you can be to the people in your life even if you don't feel like you're in the best spot I feel like I I am in a habit of like I have to put on my own face mask first before helping these other people (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and I do think there's an element of that like if you're drowning you do need to kind of figure your crap out before you try and like (laughs) thrash other people into your life but also like you don't have to be in a perfect place to be a really bright light in other people's lives Mm -hmm. and i think that cliff demonstrates that really well for jane and so i love that point that you made alexis Mm -hmm. that we help each other out yeah that while cliff might not feel like he is in the best spot he is in a great spot to help jane yeah and i also feel like he kind of also feels a little more confident in himself as well just from hanging out with her and seeing like Mm -hmm. oh i remember like i feel like he commented like Oh my! Like my life is a lot better than what's going on over there. So, well, yeah, I, I think that was funny. I think their dynamics interesting because I mean he's he's a mind in a robot, right? Mm-hmm. He's like mm-hmm. he's the Tin Man of comics, and I think there's a little bit of him that looks Jane and says, "I could have 64 minds yeah. in in a body, body, you know." And like, and I think she looks at him and she's like, "Oh, someone that understands at least in part what's mm-hmm. going on." Yeah, they kind of have an understanding of each other. Yeah, I think they're I think they're great. I think you you two are spot on that that is one of the best Obviously. interactions. <laughs> I mean, what can we say? The never wrong half of the podcast. <laughs> President and You're vice. Welcome. And I'm just the editor. Yep. And just so anyway, me and Cole are going to be talking about inside for the rest of the episode because you <laughs> oh two hurt my feelings. So goodbye. <laughs> and you this should is, watch it. It's very good. I, I will watch it. It's I'll very good. It up, I promise. It's absurd. Like if yes. I I think I'm right. <laughs> I think I'm right all the time. But I think I'm right when I say inside okay. feels a lot like Morrison's Doom Patrol. Got it, got it. I well I will watch it and I'll let you know how you're wrong. <laughs> yes. Oh perfect. Perfect. Right, just... And I will be there to defend Dallas when this happens. <laughs> and it'll be on HBO Max. They're gonna fight each other. Yes. And like Grant Morrison, Ant uses Ant uses claws. I do. Don't fight me. I fight dirty. I bite. <laughs> she fights like a ferret. Whatever that means. <laughs> she has an assistant ferret as well. Oh my gosh. All right. All right. Question number two. do This comes from Keanu Comics, obviously a real panda. <laughs> I love um, Keanu. They're so sweet. Um, they write, what are the most memorable moments from the run? So from what we read, what's the most memorable? Do you have one, Alexis? 
or is just like the feeling of, of my nightmares. Of yeah. Oh. I mean, for me, it's got to be anytime Mr. Nobody's on page. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that too. Christmas every day. Every now, ever since we commented on that, I just, I have that thought. Yeah. How lovely <laughs> that would be. Quick, oh, quick so tangent on that. When he runs for president, people are holding signs that say nobody for president. That's my and there's yes. just like brief snippets of interviews where people are like, yeah, I mean, I like him better than the other guys. So like, yeah, I'll vote for him. And it's just, <laughs> oh, it, it oh. is ahead of its time. That's exactly. so good. I, it reminds me of the Simpsons episode where the, both the aliens run for president. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Easily one of the best bits the Simpsons ever done. When they unmask and they're like, it's a two party system. You have to vote for one of us. <laughs> I was like, I'm dead. I'm dead. Ah, you're like, that's a little ah, too close. Ah. <laughs> Say, I know, personally, I've gone on about, like, how my favorite two issues are the ones that are a little quieter that focus on Dorothy yeah. and Cliff. Mm-hmm. But talking about memorable moments, there's one that really cemented for me, like, who the Doom Patrol is. And it's the moment when the Justice League shows up to save Paris and they're just standing around looking at this painting and they're basically like, okay, now what? What do we do? <laughs> And it's like, that's what the Doom Patrol is. They're the people that come in for the things that are too batshit crazy for Batman to understand, which yeah. is probably a lot in a universe where gods are real. So, you know, it's a good thing they're around. I like that a lot. I I think that's per- that's spot on. Yeah, Any other? I, oh, man, I don't. It's tough to pick just one. I mean, it is like any time Mr. Nobody is there, and at least from these first 10 or so issues, it might be the whole, the sort of end of, like, the painting that ate Paris where <laughs> they have to, like, the Doom Patrol and the Brotherhood of Dada have to join hands oh, to yeah. defeat this apocalyptic horse that the is, power like... power friendship. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's perfect. Yeah, it's it's perfect. It's so funny, and it's... Also, like, has features of moment where Jane really steps up, and that's pretty great. Um, and she kind of saves the whole world, but with the help of the power of friendship. And it's just, <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Very, very, very good. All right. And now, coming from Time Out, Glenn Machette. Oh. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's the podcast. It's okay. Uh, I read the comment ahead of time. He behaved himself this time, so it's okay. I will <laughs> say, though, my name is not Alexa. That is very often confused, <laughs> and I am not a tiny little Ooh. thing that talks back. Sometimes, but... <laughs> yes, you are! That's exactly what you are. Oh, side apt. tangent. Just a little itty-bitty. I have a Google Home in my apartment, and my roommate has an Alexa, and I one time, I say, hey, Google, to my my Google Home, and Alexa answered, and she goes, that's not my name, from the other room, and I was like, ah! <laughs> She's speaking to me! Uh, that oh, reminds me, here's my tangent. That reminds me of the time that I got a call from a telemarketer, and then I immediately got a second call from a telemarketer, so I merged the calls, and I just let them pitch to each other. Oh. And it was like a peak life experience. Oh, I just under they're like, hello, um, this is the IRS calling. They're like, that's so funny, because I'm the IRS calling. <laughs> and they're just like... God. They, it took a while for them to pick up, that they were like, wait, oh, what? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, it'd be, it'd be even funnier if they were in like the same room and there's like, Jake? And it's like, <laughs> Paul, is that you? <laughs> they're just like fighting each other. It was so funny. It was like a solid two minutes of them trying to be like, 
Oh, very funny. Yeah, you'd think you can say what I'm saying. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, Glenn, this tangent's your fault. <laughs> that was the answer to Glenn's question. Um, this has been another... No, I'm just... We're not even going right. to read it. Dear Dallas, Google Home, and Anne. And yes. <laughs> I'm not usually a Morrison fan, but I loved All-Star Superman. Mood. Uh, just kidding, I love Morrison. Do you guys have one work from an author you usually don't like that you did enjoy? More linked to Doom Patrol. It's not secret that X-Men originally was a derivative of Doom Patrol. Morrison wrote both properties, so do you see any similarities between this run and their X-Men stuff? Many thanks. You all rock. So, to give you a second to think, I do have some thoughts on the second question about Morrison's work on X-Men, which I've gone on record as my favorite era of X-Men. I think Krakoa is very fun, but Morrison X-Men is the reason I fell in love with the characters. Um, I think that Morrison's X-Men is very much interested in allowing a group that has suffered to step forward in a way that they hadn't been allowed to up to that point. I think Chris Claremont did an excellent job of recontextualizing the X-Men to be a stand-in for suffering groups. And then Grant came in and said, that's all been well and good, but since Claremont left, you haven't done anything interesting with that. So let's start talking about what happens when that group stops letting you define them. When they say, yeah, mm, pardon my language. Sorry, mom. I know you don't listen to this, so it doesn't matter. But like, like fuck you. I'm going to do something cool. And they start mutant fashion, mutant parts of town. They like, they stop being a derivative of a group that hates them and just allow themselves to be their own group. I think that's really, really cool. I think that's a, a fresh idea that we're exploring more now in the Krakoa era, right? This idea mm -hmm. of a minority nation state. So very interesting stuff with X-Men. I think Doom Patrol is more about people that don't feel like they get to have a group that are suffering. You know, people that feel alone and finding that family, finding that group that may not be going through exactly what you're going through. Like Cliff isn't going through exactly what Jane is going through and vice versa, but it's close enough that they can get it and they can lift each other up. And that seems to be what the Doom Patrol by Morrison is about. And I think that that shows Morrison's range for depicting human experience that they were able to take such different roads for groups that on paper are so similar. So that's my, that's my thoughts on the difference between Morrison X-Men and Morrison Doom Patrol. And I will also say Morrison X-Men, again, if Doom Patrol was too much for you, Morrison X-Men, it's like 30% less. But also, if you're a huge Magneto fan, maybe just skip the last arc. Maybe not for you. <laughs> if yeah. you're a Magneto apologist, that might not be for you. <laughs> It's kind of interesting what you just said, though, Dallas. I can't really speak to the X-Men side as much because I'm going to get roasted for this. I haven't read Morrison's X-Men run. Oh, he's cutting um, out. Uh, he's no <laughs> <laughs> But um, it is it is interesting because I think in both the show and this and this run of Doom Patrol, there is, I think, a pretty consistent through line of if these people were separated from one another, if they were just alone or isolated or on their own, as they sort of were maybe at the start of this story or at the start of the show, they would be struggling a lot more than 
they would be if they were together. And it's not like, oh, yeah, like Cliff and Jane meet each other. They kind of like get along and help each other out. It's not like their problems are solved. Like they are Mm -hmm. still struggling. They're still dealing with plenty of issues and trauma and challenges. But it's a little easier to deal with now that they're together. And I think that's sort of what the Doom Patrol means to me or embodies to me is that everyone thinks that they're sort of alone or isolated or, you know, what they're dealing with, someone could never understand or relate to. But you might not be able to understand it fully, but there are so many people out there who can say, hey, like, I'm here, like, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. with you. And that's kind of all you need sometimes. I knew this would turn into therapy, and I love it. <laughs> therapy. Therapy. I don't need oh. therapy two times a week. Gosh. <laughs> All right. So second question from Glenn, or I guess first. Mm-hmm. Do you have a piece from a, from a, like a creator you usually don't jive with? Do you have something you love from them? That's that's the hard one because I've been thinking about this for the last, you know, two days and I just pulled up my phone to do some, do some Googling to see like, is there anyone? Because I'm like, there are, there are writers I'm not fond of, but it's like, I feel like if I'm not fond of them, I don't keep reading their work. Like I'm like, I don't really like anything Garth Ennis has ever done, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, I know a lot of people talk really good about Preacher and that Midnight Run, Midnighter Run. I love Preacher. um, I feel it's like it's weirder than this. Okay. <laughs> Great. Never it's it. like, I'm sure I'll get around to it eventually, but everything else he's written, like the boys, I read issue. I read the first arc of the boys. I'm like, okay, that's enough. I'm done with this for now. <laughs> it's like the writing style just doesn't fit with me. He often writes characters that I don't vibe with. Like I know his Punisher run is really, really long, but I'm not a huge Punisher person. So it takes a lot for me to get into a writer who just, doesn't click with me i can think of the opposite i can think of a dozen of one stories by authors i love that aren't great but vice versa i don't i don't really know like i don't think there's ever been a rob liefeld story i've ever liked so (laughs) yikes um i mean this is i'll answer the question in a second but and to spark something in me i have the hardest time with wonder woman solo runs I feel like I want to like them so badly every mm. time and every <laughs> single time, except for Gail Simone's. And I haven't read Greg Rucka's yet. So okay, I've I was going to ask. I've heard that's great. <laughs> I've heard it's great. But I loved Gail Simone's run. And I was like, man, maybe I'm maybe I'm just getting a bad batch, you know? Mm-hmm. I've tried like nine different runs that aren't Greg Rucka so far. And every single time <laughs> I get like four issues deep and I'm like, we're back at the Greek gods and they're yep. just they're falling apart. Yep. <laughs> All right. Oh, yep. and she's she's killing people with a sword. Okay. Oh, we turned yep. it into an action comic. Oh, mm, <laughs> mm. Like, I was so hopeful. This The current yep. run that's happening right now with the Norse stuff, that whole Norse yep. arc, I was like, oh, yeah. One issue on Olympus. I was like, and you're dropped from the pull list. <laughs> yeah, Be gone, thought. We could do a whole episode <laughs> on why I think Wonder Woman is the hardest of the Trinity to write for, but that's that's definitely a conversation for another day. <laughs> I do think, specifically answering Glenn's question, I do not often jive with Frank Miller's work. Oh, I I, I have adore, one answer. I adore Frank Miller's Daredevil run. Mm-hmm. I think it is so 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 good, and uh, it's 
it was like one of the first comics that I read that felt like more than mm. what was on the page mm. and made me fall in love with the character. And I just, I think Dark Knight Returns is fine. Like I liked it the first time I read it. I don't really ever feel the hankering to go read it again. And everything since then has been about violence towards prostitutes. So like not something I'm interested in, Frank Miller. <laughs> so that's one one piece of work from a creator that I think is amazing that I don't care for the rest of their work. Oh, I can tell you the exact moment I found out I didn't like Frank Miller. It's when I read, it was the second Frank Miller book I ever read. It was The Dark Knight Strikes Back. Oh and it was the moment where Wonder Woman and Superman start having sex so hard it kills people. I mean, that's yeah, just a yeah. comic book Alexis, right there. your face. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happened. Um, it's Plastic Man was the big bad for some reason. It was so mm. bizarre. And the art, if you want, just like take a moment, get a drink, sit down with the Dark Knight Strikes Back with a friend and just laugh at every single face in it. It's the most atrocious looking book I've ever seen in my life. Not to just shit talk on Frank Miller during this, but oh my God, I've never seen a worse looking book. You want to talk about bad art? Do not come near me unless that is the pick for bad art. I will not engage in the conversation yeah. unless that is your number one choice. While we're shitting on Frank Miller's art, <laughs> I... <laughs> I put this by saying, like, my background's in writing and really any story. Like, if the writing is good, I can, I can like, vibe with it. Like, I'll yeah. be into it. There are has never been a time where I've picked up a comic book, opened it, and thought, man, I do not like this art so much that I'm going to put it down. <laughs> and yet when I read The Dark Knight Returns when I was, like, 16, oh. I, that's exactly what happened. And, like, <laughs> normally I'd be like, oh, 16-year-old Cole did not know what he was talking about. And maybe that's possible. Maybe I'd feel differently if I went back to it now. But this is, like, the exception to that rule. Because <laughs> 16-year-old Cole did not know what he was talking about. <laughs> except for this. It True. just, oh, it was, I was not a fan of, it was ugly and just, uh, yeah, I was not a fan of Frank Miller's art. And that's all I wanted to say. But yeah. that Daredevil run, though, quite that good. That Daredevil run, so good. I, good. I really like the Daredevil run. I like the Dark Knight Returns. I think I like it more than most people do. I'm not, like, crazy about it like a lot of people are, but I like it more than most. I'll read it every once in a while. But I think everything since then, you would have to pay me to read it. Like, Superman Year One. Oh, it was so bad. Years. It was not so bad. I read, the, I read that first issue, and I was like, why'd you do this? You knew you wouldn't like it, you stupid idiot. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I like The Dark Knight Returns, too. I just, I like it for what it is as an Elseworld story. I don't like yeah. that from the moment that book hit pages, they were like, and this is the definitive take on this character. Right, right. Like... For what it is, I like it. I think it's high quality. You know, I think that and the Daredevil run, are, that and the Daredevil mm -hmm. run are both good. But like, I just feel animosity towards that book because of what it's done to yeah. Detective Comics comics. Big, <laughs> oh, big shout out to my girl Ashley for pointing that out to me because I've not been able to unsee that that's exactly what happened, and it's, oh, it's heartbreaking. So, all right. Anyone else have an answer for Glenn's stuff? Yeah, and this is this is kind of a weird one, but because I haven't really, I don't even know if I've read any other stories by this writer. Uh, but Superman Red Sun, which is written by Mark Millar, I actually really like that story. I've heard some interesting <laughs> takes on the rest of his work, and I don't really feel compelled uh, to go to them because of that. 
But I do yeah. really enjoy that story, even That's as a, like, a Superman story, as an Elseworlds story. Up and down, up and down. <laughs> Mark Millar writes so specifically to 16-year-old boys Yep. That, like, if that's yeah. what you're looking for, and it'll hit pretty hard sometimes. But if that's not what you're looking Ooh, for, yeah, or not what the story needs, it's it's not going to hit very now well. Now that I think about this, I don't think I was 16 when I read Red Sun for the first time, but I was, like, maybe, like, 18, and, like, 18-year-old Cole was basically just 16-year-old Cole, so... Fair. There are times yeah. that 24-year-old Dallas is 16-year-old oh, Dallas, to yes, be fair. Yes, that's, that's exactly where I am as well. <laughs> All right, I think we have exhausted our our Doom Patrol episode, folks. Does anyone have any closing oh. statements or thoughts? Alexis is coming out of REM sleep. I just saw her come out of a coma. <laughs> um, well, I don't know anybody's names to be able well, to compare who writes what. I was going to say you could say Grant Morrison, but we haven't found one you liked yet. So. <laughs> I liked 52 kind of sort okay. of. Okay, 52 kind of. Okay, kind of so we have of. one. There we go. We have 50% of one. <laughs> Alexis, do you want to announce next week's book that you're actually going to love? Because we we made you read something you didn't like this time. And I know you're going to like next week. I, I Well, I know I'm going to like it because I'm the one that kind of picked it out of the two. <laughs> so whenever we read things that I like, and then I, I, obviously I'm the one that picked them. So, um, yeah, no, we get to read Black Cat next week, and I'm all excited. Oh, this is going to be so good. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so fun. Um, Cole, do you want to plug or pitch anything or get it out into the waves about your lovely YouTube channel, Critical Rants? Acclaimed lovely YouTube channel, Critical Rants. Uh, thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, um, I YouTube Critical Rants. I make video essays. I post them whenever I get around to it. Um, but I've covered Doom Patrol a few times. I have a video planned uh, for sometime this year on this very Doom Patrol run by Grant Morrison, um, which will be a doozy to make. Um, <laughs> but you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at critical underscore rants. Uh, I could use some more followers on there since, you know, I have some pretty good tweets, not to brag. Um, <laughs> yes, but you yeah, do. that's that's where you can find me. Oh, thank you. I, you know. <laughs> It's guilty as charged. But uh, yeah, that's that's it for plugging on my end. Okay. I want you to make your bio like underrated gem, critical oh. hints. Oh, it's my true. My bio is already chock full of stuff, though. <laughs> I think so... I'm at the exact character limit. It was precisely, with a science is how I wrote my bio. Oh, God, yeah. I have two very stupid sentences right off the gate. Man. That's the way to be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my my lane that I thrive in is just as stupid as possible. But also where you go, he's kind of right, but he's incredibly stupid. That's that's where I thrive. Oh, beautiful. Oh. All right. And do you want to pitch the exciting stuff that's going on in in your yeah, world um, right now? I recently just launched a Patreon. So Ooh. if you would like to come and support me and um, help with some of my transition costs, because things are expensive. I love this world. Um, <laughs> if you want to come and see what I have to offer there, I have some fun things for the people who follow me for comic stuff. I also have some fun treats for um, people who would like to be following me for some of my writing stuff, which is starting to take off, which is really exciting. I have stuff for that there for you too. So yeah, I think there's something for everyone. So 
go check it out. I have some pretty good goodies coming up for you guys. So yeah, that's just Patreon, um, Carol and Comics. So the link is in my bio, I believe, or in my links section of the bio on Twitter. So easily findable. And it's my pin treat right now. So yeah. Oh, yay. Thank All you. right. I should also briefly mention, since I, I also have a Patreon, I forgot to plug that. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Critical Rants. I'm just going to end it there. <laughs> All right. And uh, if you want to help support my hot boy summer, Dallas Taylor's OnlyFans. Um, oh, gross. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing lewd. I'm just going to read uh, Doom Patrol out loud to you. No, just post pictures of your cankle. Uh, yeah, my <laughs> sweet, sweet cankle. All right. Oh, this just the one. Off the There's rails. only one. This has officially gotten bad here at the end, which usually means oh. it's over. I'm impressed, I'm impressed that it took us this long, frankly. Yeah, I was expecting was a, us to be like minute five is where we'd like, be at this level. Especially with the book that we read. It yes. could have gone shitty fast. Exactly. This has been another episode of the Comics Dada Collective. Um, come back next <laughs> week for a normal book. Love you all. Toodaloo. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone.